Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. And before we start that, I, I want to give an announcement for next week, a plug for the evening sermons. I, I was originally planning to preach Jonah 1 this Sunday morning because I often will begin a series in the morning and then, and, and then go into the evening, but I, I, was, I felt convicted to preach on this topic, and so I'm just going to start in the evening. And so I invite you to come out. We have an evening service, and if not, then we have a live stream that you can watch it or later or the podcast. So Jonah is a short book. It's a powerful book that I spent a lot of time in while I was deployed. I was planning to preach on it in the fall. God had other plans, so I'm looking forward to getting back to it uh, next week. So I invite you to be part of that. Well, today we're going to be looking at several verses or several passages, but, but especially Genesis 1. And I just want to say a few things before I start. The case for life, I'm going to make mostly from Scripture. I have never preached on abortion before, and now I know why. Uh, it, is, it is a hard topic. I am scratching the surface, pulling very selectively. I'm trying to uh, fairly interact with agree, uh, positions I disagree with when I do, but giving very little time to it. So... I would first like to give credit where credit is due. I've had, there's some very good arguments by this book by Nancy Piercy, Love Thy Body. There's about a 30, 40 page chapter in abortion if you would like some, some deeper work on the philosophical side of things. And also, I would say this is one of those coffee sermons. You know, we're going to be talking about real life where it gets very personal. And if I say something, I don't have time to expand it, and you don't like that, or you disagree with that, or you say, I don't understand that, I would ask you, instead of, as we often do today, when we hear something that's not said in the way that we like it, to shut down and tune the other person out, to to first sit and listen to the word, and then if you still have disagreements, let's talk. Grab a coffee, or you can come over to my house with Elizabeth and me and our rowdy crew of three, and we'll have talk over lunch. But let's engage. Well, at this point, let's read God's word. We're going to start Genesis 1, verses 26 to the end of the chapter. This is what God says as he talks about the significance of humanity, man and woman. Then God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to the beasts of all the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Please pray with me. Father, we always want to come trembling to your word in a healthy fear, a joyful, expectant fear. But especially today, 
as we consider a topic that has so much emotional freight in our culture, would your word speak clearly to us? Spirit, would you work in us? Would you give us clarity in our thoughts and your truth? Would you give us compassion in our hearts? Would you bind up those who are hurt and bring healing and grace? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure most of you know the context socially of this sermon. Uh, May 3rd, I believe it was. There was a draft leak of the Supreme Court majority decision, which is not final and it could be changed in some way. But if it stands as it was leaked then, it could mean that the Supreme Court would overrule Roe versus Wade almost after 50 years of a ruling that made abortion legal in most circumstances in every state. To read just one excerpt from the draft, it says, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. And so if Roe was overturned in some way, it would bring it back to the states and it would, each state would determine its position on protecting unborn life. Now, if you follow the response, it shows the incredibly deep division that we have in our society and country today. Right? The pro-life advocates are rejoicing that our nation is one step closer to protecting unborn life in all stages. <clears throat> and the pro-choice, the pro-abortion side, would see this ruling as a great evil. It's a regression of woman's rights. It's a violation of her privacy and her body. It's even inhumane to require her to carry a baby against her will. And you can see that culturally, there's an impasse. What one side says is good, the other side says is evil. Now, there, there is a middle ground, but, but these, are, these are kind of the polarizing opposites. I think now is a good time to re-examine what Scripture says about abortion and unborn life. Now, many of you might say, well, this is, this is simple. Case closed. It's, it's a life, and to take that life is murder. And, and that is true. Well, if that's you, then this sermon is to help you think biblically about what this is and to speak your convic- convictions in a, in a way that is clear and compassionate and how we can act in that way. But it's also not necessarily true for all Christians. The narrative that is presented today is that an onboard baby is not a life. It's, it's a clump of cells. It's just a part of her mother that can be removed at her convenience. Or if it's a life, it's not really a person, so it doesn't have access or the protections of a developed human. And maybe you or someone you know has soaked in those ideas, and you're a Christian, but you haven't connected the dots that abortion is wrong, that it is taking a life. I, I know plenty of stories of Christians who came to know Jesus later in life, and it took several years of reading the scriptures and talking with other believers, saying, ah, okay, I understand So the point today is very simple. Image bearers are precious. Image bearers are precious, and so therefore are to be protected. And as we'll see, this this applies to the mother as well as to the baby. But let's start with the child and acknowledge what Scripture says, that the fetus in the womb is an unborn life. Now, there are not many passages in Scripture that talk about unborn life, uh, partially at least because... 
abortion was seen as murder, murder and unacceptable in Old Testament Jewish society, and so there were no reasons to talk about it in, in a detailed way. So I want us to start by setting this scene and just recognize that Scripture, first of all, before we even look at a couple key passages that you probably have seen, Scripture says human life is a beautiful gift. And let's remember that. So let's go to the passage that we just read. And we'll look at this passage twice. But in the first passage, God makes the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, as, as we find their, in their names in chapters 2 and 3, as, as the pinnacle of creation. They are the top of everything that God has made. They are very good. He makes them in their Im- his image. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But right now it says he made them male and female. Verse, end of verse 27. Now this is not the, the usual verse, Hebrew word for man and woman. Later on, Adam is called the man Hebrew word ish, and he'll say Eve is woman, isha, for she is taken out of man. There's a, there's a complementary ish, isha. Here it's a different word. It's male and female, which has the emphasis on their ability to bear children. And that follows exactly God. Next verse says, be fruitful and multiply. And what God's saying here is his good design of creation was for the man and woman to partner together to expand the garden. And one of the ways that they were to do that was to have children bearing them that they would be able to continue this work. And part of creation, God gives the woman this incredible gift to bear children. And this is seen as a good thing. This is seen as a blessing, as a delight. Even after the fall, when the woman's ability to bear children, when it's, it's filled with Pain and difficulty and sometimes death. It's still filled with hope. God promises the hope of a redeemer through the descendant of the woman in, in Genesis 3.15. And Adam picks up on this promise when he names Eve, Eve, right? He, which means living or life giver. There's a beautiful thing here about the way that God has designed a woman to bear children. And throughout the whole scriptures, children and, and child... Bearing are presented as good and blessings. Just listen to Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Behold, and cho- behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, not everyone is married. Not all married people can have children. But children are the good, part of the good and natural purpose of creation for which God made men and women. When God made the male and female body, he, he made them to come together in marriage, in that protection, in that commitment to produce children. And that's a very good thing. And we have to have that picture in mind as a backdrop when we're examining what the God says about the unborn. So that this time, turn with me to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. Very well-known passage when it comes to talking about the unborn. But we will read verses 13 through 17. In this context, David is talking about how God knows him and there is no way that God, he can hide from God. He can't, he can't go to a place too high. He can't go to a place too low. Even before he was born, God knew him. So listen to this. Uh, verse uh, it'd be page 522 in your pew Bible if if you have a pew Bible. But this is what David says in Psalm 139, starting at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Kids, you know what this is saying? It's saying a lot of things. But kids, it is saying that God knew you even when you were growing in your mom's belly. He knew you right from then. And he knew, he watched you grow and he delighted in that. We're not going to go there, but parents, if you want to write down some other verses, you can take your kids. There's Job 10, verses 8 and 11. And then Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. It's the call of the prophet where God says something similar, showing how he formed Job and Jeremiah in the womb. We'll read one more passage. I'd like you to turn to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 1. This is the mating of two unborn babies. Our Lord Jesus came to this world by the Holy Spirit, conceiving him in Mary. And when she has the, the news that there's the virgin birth that God has conceived a child in her without knowing a man. And she goes and she meets her sister Elizabeth, who also has had a miraculous birth because she and her husband Zechariah were so old, but God granted them a pregnancy. And so these two women are meeting and they're both pregnant. And listen to this, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Now in all these passages, these two passages, plus the other ones that I listed, you can see the authors clearly see these as, as human life. And in fact, you can see how God has a relationship with these individuals before they're even born. In the fa- and, and in John and the Baptist case, he's aware in the womb. He's aware enough to recognize that Jesus is in his presence. So you can see how scripture says unborn child is a life. Nature often also proves this. Many times in the abortion debate, people will say, well, okay, the Bible says that. Well, that's, that's just your religious opinion. You know, keep, keep that to yourself. Well, first of all, we have to all admit that we all bring values that are all based on faith in the public square. It's not just a one-way street here. We all do. So you can't just dismiss it, dismiss it because of that. But second, we could say, okay, but nature agrees with our opinions. And here's why. Well, because God made nature. We talk about two ways that God reveals himself, general and special revelation. God speaks through his word, that's special revelation, that's, that's, that's very targeted, it's clear, but he also speaks through his world, that's general revelation. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans that all men know that there is a creator and they're without excuse for not worshiping him because of what's available in creation, Romans 1. And God's world also reveals that unborn babies are human lives. And you cannot get away from this inconvenient fact. 
today. There are plenty of quotes from modern biology textbooks teaching that human life begins at conception. There's no other way around it. And the fact is that this life is very different from the life of the mother who's carrying this baby. I want you to listen to this quote from Cynthia Isabel. She is a nurse. She, she at one point was a, a, an abortion instructor, and she became pro-life. As she, uh, for some reason, I don't know her story, but she became pro-life and she wrote a book. And listen to her talking about how the unborn baby is different from her mother. It's the placenta and umbilical cord which separate the mother and the baby and prove that the fetus was never part of its mother's body. The placenta and umbilical cord exist precisely because the baby has a different and separate circulatory system from the mother and their blood must not intermingle. If something happens, such as a traumatic injury that causes their blood to mix, it can cause serious complications. If the fetus were not a separate human being, then it would, but it were only another part of the mother's body, it would not need a placenta and umbilical cord to separate them. It could simply grow inside one of her body cavities like a tumor without any barriers between the two to protect each of them. But yet it's, a, it's a different person and God gives the woman a, a, a wonderful organ, the uterus, and, and then the placenta and the umbilical cord separate and care for this new life. And, you know, we, science is helpful, but even personal experience will tell you that this is a life. Now, if you are a woman who has been pregnant, or if you're a husband who has cared for your wife while she's pregnant, you know that that little thing inside of her is not just a little clump of cells. It has a different sleep pattern, has a different music preferences, slip favorite kicking spots. The personality is already showing inside, and parents know this. Five or six years ago, there was a talk by a woman named Stephanie Gray, and in fact, if you're looking for an excellent talk on the pro-life position, that's given from general revelation. She, she's a Catholic, but she, she's talking at Google, so she's not using scripture. Uh, it's called Abortion from Controversy to Civility. I highly recommend it. It's about an hour. It's a, it's a master class on how to talk to someone in a loving way. Uh, but she had made the round, the video made the rounds on YouTube, and so Elizabeth and I were watching it, and it just happened that Elizabeth was pregnant with Sammy in the second trimester. And so it had a sense of reality to it. It was it's kind of like watching Jaws in the swimming pool. You know, you, you like, and I remember as, as she was talking about what happens to some of these children as they're in the womb. And I, we were just thinking about how much we wanted a child. I remember putting my hand on, on her now fairly large bump and just thinking, oh, this is a life who deserves to be protected. And I think pictures have helped make this even easier. Paul, you have that ready? So, so here, it's a little grainy because I blew it up, but, but this is a picture of one of our children at, at seven months old inside the, the womb with the 3D ultrasound. And, and if you look, you can see the nose and, and the mouth and the chin, and it's actually pretty, pretty distinct. And... Um, if you knew our children well enough, you might even be able to pick out who that was. Don't feel bad if you can't. It's blurry, and the parents, you know, we're, we're a lot more attuned to our children. But, um, Paul, go ahead and sit to the next. And there she is, right? Learn picnic. Look at her nose and her mouth and her chin. Go back one, Paul. 
and then go back again. Yeah, that was Rachel. And you could tell. And in fact, thank you, Paul. Um, you could even tell you know, when you get the black and white with her profile. That was Rachel. Yeah. And pictures tell us what we already know. That, that this unborn fetus is a human life. That there's no other species where we question, when does life begin? We wonder when, you know, in the farm. When, when, when does life begin for a cow? Hmm, I wonder when that point is. No, we know. It's, 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 at, it's at conception. Uh, but we, we talk about this fetus in a way that depersonalizes it. But no, it's, what kind of fetus is it? It's a human, right? Just like it's a human baby, human toddler, human teenager, human adult. It's life and worth protecting. Scripture and nature both says an unborn life is worth protecting. Well, there's two objections that I just want to cover quickly. The one is, well, it's my body, my choice. And well, a response would be, sure. And, and you do have rights over your body. But it's not just your body, is it? The, the baby has its own heartbeat. Is that your body? Isn't it rather a, a vulnerable, new, and independent life? And don't we believe that the strong should protect the weak? And you know, there's some people you start talking about this way, and they say, oh, you're, you're right. I've never thought about that way before. And, and, and it, it starts getting the thinking, and it might change their mind. That's the first objection. There's another that, that follows. Others say, no, it, it is a life, and I realize it's a life, but it's not a person. It's not a person yet, and therefore doesn't deserve protection. It's... It's only when the fetus reaches a certain point of development, certain markers of productivity, whether it's um, their their conscience, whether they're able to experience pain, whether they can produce in life, that that they deserve human rights. In other words, you have to earn your rights. You have to prove yourself before you're worthy to qualify for human rights. Well, what would you say to this? Well, first of all, it's extremely arbitrary. There's a there's hundred definitions about what makes a person, then, if that's what the sliding scale is. And second of all, it's dangerous. And how do you know that someone who's not in charge says, well, you know, I'm more productive than you, therefore I don't know if you're a person anymore. Um, it's a very dangerous place to go. So what's the biblical response? Well, the biblical response is that we are all made in the image of God. So let's go back to Genesis 1. It says in verse 27 that God created us in his own image. In his image of God, he created them. Right? What does this mean? It doesn't mean that we are God, but that we were created in a way that makes us special and different from the rest of the living creatures. Westminster Shorter's Catechism asked, how did God create man? It's getting at this. It says God created man after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. What, what the catechism is getting at there is God has created man and, and women and humanity in a special way. He's given us some of his attributes. We call them imperfect. Perfectly we have them as communicable attributes that we're like him in some ways, that we get to reflect his glory, that we get to enjoy him in worship, that we get to do his work, dominion over the creatures. Right? God, God made us to be rulers on this earth, to transform and to care the garden and live in fellowship with him. Right? This gift was shattered by the fall, but it's our birthright. And for those of you who have read C.S. Lewis, he gets at this idea very well in the Chronicles of Narnia. Right? In the land of talking animals, where you, know, you think that's pretty cool, it's the humans who are royalty. 
And, and when Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they, they come to Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's those four thrones at Caraparavel waiting for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. And, and, and C.S. Lewis is very intentionally tying it back to being created like Adam and Eve in God's image. I was able to have a conversation with uh, email conversation with a, a young woman. I subscribed to her stack feed exchange. She's, she's not a Christian, but she just she's very much an independent thinker, and I like the fact that she you just don't know where she's going to land, and she's always very thoughtful and witty, and so she's worth listening to. I, 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 I've subscribed, and she wrote something on abortion. She says, I'm going to make everyone mad, and she, she probably did, but not me, but I, I, I got back to her, and, and we went back and forth. But one of the things that she said, she took a middle position that basically 15 weeks and after, there shouldn't be any abortions, but before that, you, you should be allowed to. And, and one of the things she said is that I, I've lived a very hard life. And won't get into the details here, but she, she, she's put it out there. I don't know if I like living. I might be happier if I was aborted. And I'm not, no, I don't know if it was good for society that I was born. I've had to invest so much money in me and government health care and counselors to get me to being functional adult. I don't know if I'll ever contribute enough to be worthwhile. I'm just going to read you the paragraph I sent back to her on reflection. And I, I said to her, I, I am sorry you're not sure you're worth the effort and resources of society. I hear the pain in your words, and it makes me grieve the sadness endemic to this broken world. From my belief, you are a person of great worth. This is not because you might someday contribute more to society than you receive from it, or that you are an inspiration to others. She had mentioned that. Some other people said that. But because God made you in his image. More than that, he dignified humanity by becoming human himself, living a life of pain and dying for his people. As I see it, you don't earn your personhood by your contribution to society. It is your birthright. You are, to quote C.S. Lewis, a daughter of Eve and of inestimable value. And that's how I tried to communicate that truth to her. You know, every image bearer is worthy of respect and dignity and pr- protection, not because of what they can do, but because of who they are. And God doesn't stamp his image on the baby when it comes out of the mother's womb. No, it's from the beginning of conception when he becomes that new life. And so for all of Christians, for Christians, all image bearers are precious. And I pray that this part is is just a brief but compelling case that we must advocate for the life of the unborn. It doesn't mean that everyone has to go to the march in Washington. Everyone has different lanes and we don't have to all be going and volunteering at the pregnancy centers. But it's not something that you can be neutral on where, you know, I, you know, I'm personally against abortion. But if someone else wants to do it, well, you know, that's OK. I mean, would you say, well, I'm against bribery. But if you want to bribe, that's OK. It doesn't work that way. No, this is the strong must protect the weak. This is biblical justice where we are taking care of those who are oppressed and vulnerable. Now, at this point, we need to switch gears just a little bit because there are at least two lives involved, right? There's not just the baby, but the mothers. In the caricature of an abortion debate, they say, well, the pro-life, they care about the baby, at least until it's born. I hope it's not that, that's not the case. But the pro-choice, they care about the mother. Well, don't we need to care about both? There's other people involved, too, but don't we need to care about both? And let's just stop and say that the mother is also an image bearer and precious. 
And how do we care for a mother who's contemplating abortion? Let's start by having some compassion and realize there are some very, very difficult cases. These are often used, unfortunately, as pawns in the arguments and doesn't mean they're not true, though. The cases of rape and incest, of an abusive situation, real financial hardship. A young woman, she's been adopted from Russia, but she said, you know, I have so much pain from growing up in the orphanage. I don't know if I want to be alive. And I certainly don't think it's fair that we should let those kids live through that. Now, none of these justify taking a life. But can we all say that this is very, very hard? And that maybe we don't live in that situation? And that it could be easy for us to stand without compassion? And just to acknowledge the world is broken and we have to say, we want to be there for you. Whether if it's appropriate, if you have a relationship with a young woman sitting with her, mourning and praying, whether it's indirectly supporting the pregnancy centers like we do, the counselors and the staff, we need to have compassion as we approach this subject. Second, the church, we need to be a home for mothers and children. You know, we should be a welcoming place for a mother and her unborn child. Now, in the past, we've had a spotty track record with this because we rightly disapprove of sexual intimacy outside of marriage, and often the mother gets the brunt of that because she's the obvious one, just like the woman brought before Jesus in adultery. But, you know, Jesus shows us that you can love someone without approving everything of their lifestyle. Jesus went and he sat with the tax collectors and sinners, and I think they knew he didn't approve of his lifestyle, but he also didn't wait till they cleaned up their act before he went and ate with them. And so we as a church need to say, are we welcoming? If there was a a, a young mother who was in need without financial support system, would would we welcome her in? Would she feel loved? Would we have a place to care for her? What would it look like for churches if there will be more Roe v. Wade is overturned for us to be able to get behind them and to care for them? And then we need to be there to provide adoption and foster support. If you've heard any of the arguments, you've probably heard this one. If Christians care so, for, so much for the unborn life, well then, you know, why haven't they adopted all the foster kids in the system? Uh, that one gets bandied around a lot. I think that's pretty unfair. Uh, it assumes that there's a lot more active Christians that can foster that, than could. It assumes that the foster system is easy to use and it's easy to adopt as as Elizabeth and I tried to adopt three infants before they fell through and finally went to embryo adoption, I can tell you the system is broken and difficult. That's why we pursued embryo adoption. Uh, adoption and foster care are certainly not for everyone. There's people who are too young, too old, different stages of life. Uh, it, it takes a special person for, for children who have been through difficult and abusive situations. But let's also acknowledge its value. There is something very close and special to God's heart about adoption. Right? For the family that brings a child in, it is sacrificial. It, it disrupts your life. It turns it upside down. But it also blesses the child. It, it welcomes someone who is without resources or a place to go, is perhaps an outcast, and brings them into your home. And in the case of uh, adoption, makes them a daughter or a son. And isn't that what God does for us through Jesus? You may have heard the story of the early Christians 
mostly urban, mostly in the cities. And unlike the Jewish culture, the Roman and the Greek culture had no problem with abortion or infanticide. And you may also know that most of the babies that were exposed were female because men were preferred. And so what Christians would do is they would go and they would pick up these little exposed girls and raise them as their own. And Christians were often poor and resources were not plentiful back then. It was a cost to feed another mouth. And yet they did it out of the overflow of their love. Fostering and adoption is not a sacrifice that everyone can or should make. But it is a need that we should consider as a church. And, and perhaps if you can't adopt a child, perhaps you could support someone who, who can. There is a, a church, I was looking for a, a church for a friend out in Arizona, and on their webpage, now they're a network, so they're a lot bigger, but they actually have a, a, a group where they will, they'll teach you classes, it's a support group to help families foster to adopt. Now, we're not, we don't have those types of resources, but maybe as a church we could pull resources to care for someone who God is calling. And, and, and Brother Deacons, I'm just going to throw this on you. You know, their family, if, if, if there's a couple here that have just been thinking, man, maybe I should consider this. Well, talk to the deacons and say, you know, would there be a way that we could get help? That the church could come alongside us as we consider this calling. Well, people of God, all life is precious. And I want to finish by talking to one more group of people who are also precious to God. There are enough people in this room that it is very possible that there is a woman who has had an abortion here or a man who has pressured his girlfriend into getting an abortion or someone who is somehow connected to an abortion. And you're listening to God's truth and you're filled with guilt and grief. Maybe thinking... Killed my baby. I didn't even realize what I was doing. But she's dead. She'd be ten right now. I just want to stop for a second and weep with you in your pain. Abortion is a serious sin. But there's also a great truth that comes with this that, that can help can help cleanse your sin and help bring healing. But Jesus died for your sin just like any other. And there is no one, no act that is beyond his redeeming power of Jesus. God used the Apostle Paul. If you know his story, he was not exactly the poster child of righteousness when it comes to supporting God's kingdom. He thought he was, but he was opposing God. He, he threw God's, the believers into jail He persecuted them and even killed them. Listen to what Apostle Paul says as he's reflecting on his own life in 1 Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful according to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. And then listen to what he says. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What God's saying is, see Paul and what he's done? Okay, I'm going to take him and change him and use him as an example of what a person forgiven and transformed in Christ looks like. And if I can do that with Paul, I can do that with anyone. God used him as an example. And I will say, brother, sister, if, if, if you are suffering guilt, if you're feeling guilt, and you've given it before Christ, in him you are forgiven. Jesus said to the woman, he says, your sins are forgiven. Church, I'd ask you to check your own heart. If abortion is a hypothetical to you, are we like Simon the Pharisee grading on the scale? Yeah, we sin, but you know, we're, we had the five denarii debt, the 50 denarii debt, not, not the 500. Do you see yourself as a fellow sinner needing forgiveness just as much as anyone else who has supported or performed or had an abortion? Sins have different impacts, but, but each one of us are equally needy of God's grace. And you see, because only when you have realized how much you have been forgiven, that you can love much. And only then can you advocate for the unborn. Can you care for the mother? Can you welcome the child? Can you heal the hurting in a way that would honor your king? Our Jesus, who would give no quarter when it came to proclaiming the truth, but was also tenderness and compassion itself to the brokenhearted and hurting. My prayer is that as, as, as we interact with the world, as we interact with those who disagree with us, as we advocate for life, as we care for those who are needy, whether unborn or born, that we would honor him in this way. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that you've given us the gift of physical life. Thank you that you've given us the gift of eternal life. Father, would your grace flavor our arguments, our mercy, the way we view others, that we would have a a loving and welcoming disposition, a pleasant scent even, that we would not smell a whiff of self-righteousness, but rather people like the Apostle Paul amazed that we've been welcomed into your kingdom. And so we go out and we live and we love in radical and in selfless ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.